The Beat Church in Pflugerville, Texas. Bringing you messages of inspiration, hope, and freedom. Turn up the volume and get ready for the truth that will set you free. the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what he gives you to be able to do that's really cool in your life and the uh, things that you're going to be able to do through that, okay? But the most important thing is actually the person of the Holy Spirit that comes and comes and has that relationship with us. And so we're going to talk about him, what he is, okay? So number one is that he is a deposit, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22, that he's a deposit of our future in heaven. It says, Now it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Okay, so the picture here when it says that he has set his seal upon us is that back in this time frame, things were ran by kings. And a king would send a message or he would send a decree out and when they did, they would roll it up, they would pour wax on it, and then he had a special ring that had basically a special symbol on it. And he would press that into the wax, take it away, and then when it dried, that symbol nobody else had except for the king. And it was that symbol pressed in there that said, this is done under his authority. This is his decree. No one can mess with this. And so that's what it's talking about, that the seal of God on our lives, that he literally puts a seal and stamps us with his presence, with his spirit, that he says, you know what, these are mine. Okay, and what is that good for? Who needs to see that? Well, one, it's good for us, but a seal isn't meant for the document. A seal is meant for others to see. So that seal literally imprints upon us and other people, especially when you're talking in the spiritual realm, because there is a God, there is angels, but there's also demons, there's demonic, there are forces at work against the will of God and against the people of God. And as they come in a spiritual sense and they look upon you, they don't just see you. They see in a spiritual vision looking at you, on you is a seal that has been stamped with the presence of God. And so when they come to attack your life or discourage you or badger you or come after you, and they come up, they see and they go, well, this one is one of God's. And they have authority through Christ over me. And it gives you a place of authority over the things in your life when we talk about freedom that Jesse said. So that's an important piece that God does. The other part, it says there is that he's a deposit, and it's talking about an earnest money. If anybody here has been in real estate or bought real estate, you take a certain amount of money and you put it down on a property, and it says that, you know what? If they don't come back and finish buying this, they lose everything. So God has put a deposit down on you to say, they're mine, and when this life is over, they're coming to be with me in heaven. They're mine. And so God has done that through the Holy Spirit. And you can identify that and feel that in your own life. As you pray, as you, um, I'm going to share a, a story here on Nicole, who's in the back right there. So this is just a great story, so I hope you don't mind. But she had sent us, a song that was a, not a Christian song, it was a secular song, after she gave her life to the Lord, and she said, is this, a, 
is this a Christian worship song? She goes, this is just speaking to me about God's love. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is a deposit in her heart that says, you are mine. And now the things that she hears, right, the Spirit uses to remind her that you belong to me. And this thing starts to happen as we serve the Lord. So it's important that we know that, that God has set a seal on our hearts that is for others to see. And he set a deposit in our heart that reassures us that we know we're going to heaven. We don't have to worry or fret or distress. Okay, number two, that he's a convictor of sin and righteousness. John 16, 7 to 8 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I, if I do not go away, the helper will not come. And that's that verse. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit comes to convict. Now there's a difference, and this is key. You have to listen to this. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. A lot of Christians struggle under condemnation. Condemnation says you are wrong. And there is no hope for you. You're condemned. It's over. It's done. You've screwed up. You've messed up. You've blown it. You're finished. You didn't treat your spouse well. You didn't make a good decision with your child. You didn't do the best at that job, and now you lost it. God's got no future for you. You didn't do this. You had a drink, and you shouldn't have had a drink. And you, on and on and on. And condemnation comes, and you don't read your Bible enough. You don't pray enough. You don't share your faith enough. And this condemnation comes upon you. And it gives no hope. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. It doesn't get any better. I've got to work harder. I've got to do better. But I never will. I already blew it. That's condemnation. You're wrong, and there's no hope. Conviction is almost the same, with one difference. And that has been the scheme of the devil the whole entire history of humanity is to take a truth of God and twist it just enough to turn it into a curse and take a blessing and make a curse out of it for you. Adam and Eve could live forever in the garden. God had given that to them. God was sharing his knowledge with them. God was sharing his life and power with them and his authority with them. And what happened? The devil came and said, you know what? You can be like God. You can change this just a little bit, and you can be the one that has all the knowledge and everything. They already had it. God was already walking with them in the garden. He's already talking with them and sharing with them and fellowshipping with them and teaching them. He twists it just a little bit and says, you can take it for yourself. And that brought a curse. Well, the same thing happens with conviction and condemnation. The Holy Spirit comes to convict. The Holy Spirit does come to tell you that you are wrong. And he comes to tell me that I'm wrong. Andy, you blew it here. This doesn't line up with my word. This is a sin. Well, but I'm a Christian. I don't sin. Yes, you do. I'm a pastor and I sin because I'm not in heaven yet. I'm not perfect yet. I blow it sometimes. Sometimes I get mad. Sometimes I, I accidentally say the wrong thing. Sometimes I choose to do the wrong thing. Sometimes I know I should help somebody and I say, no, I don't want to do that right now. And what's the Bible says? To those who know to do good and do not do it, to them it is sin. Like, oh, I missed an opportunity to do good because I didn't want to do it. Lord, if you bring them back around my way, I promise I'll help them next time. Anybody ever prayed that before? I've prayed that, and God brought him right back around the corner. I'm like, I wasn't that serious about it. 
I mean, come on, give me a break. But the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, but it says, and of righteousness. See, there's hope in it. You've done this wrong. Now let me show you the right way to do it. And he teaches us to live the way we're supposed to live. And so that's, a, that's something that the Holy Spirit is. That he's a convictor. Number three, John 14, 16. says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. And then John 16, 12 to 13 ties on to that. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. It says, but when the, he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what's yet to come. He's saying the Holy Spirit is going to tell you about me, about my plans, about my purposes, about what's going on in this world. And it says that he'll be our advocate. Now, that word advocate in the Greek is a word paraclete, and what it means is like an attorney or somebody that you have that comes to court with you, and you don't know anything about the law. You're just a screw-up and a mess-up, and you know, you stand there you're like, what do I even do? Well, he comes in, and he doesn't just stand there, but he actually tells you, okay, sit down. Don't say anything unless I tell you to say it. I'm going to help you fix this. I'm going to show you what your rights are. I'm going to help you out, and then I'm going to defend and advocate for you in this case. And so the Holy Spirit comes not to convict us in a way that causes us to have despair, but actually comes into our life as a comforter, a counselor, a teacher, an advocate that comes in and says, hey, this is what's going on. I'm going to help you. I'm going to change it. My mindset's messed up. I always think the wrong thoughts. I get anxious. I get stressed. I get worried. I get negative. I spiral. I'm stuck. I'm in bondage. And the Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, you're not in bondage. This isn't how I've called you to live. I've called you to live free. Now I'm going to defend you and help you. I'm going to teach you and show you how to live free. And how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to direct you back to the word of God. And he's going to start showing you verses and things that allow you to see where freedom comes from. But the Holy Spirit comes that way and, and does that for us. Another thing that he is is an empowerer. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now let me say this. This is one of the most abused verses in the Bible. Because that first part of it gets used and says, man, the Holy Spirit gives me power. And power gets manifested all kinds of ways. And I believe that God can do all kinds of things. We might be praying for you one day, man, the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you just lay down in the presence of the Lord. And we wouldn't freak out and say, get him out of here. But I will tell you this, that this verse isn't talking about that. This verse isn't talking about me having you all stand up, and I'm going to blow on you and have you fall down. Can God do that? Absolutely. But that's not what this verse is talking about. Listen to the rest of it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he's talking about is I will give you power to be a witness. I will give you power to go out into a world that rejects me, a world that's struggling and has troubles and that can be depressing and that can be against anything of faith, that doesn't want to hear it, and yet they're still hurting and struggling, but I will send you into that, and I will give you the power to be a witness, both in how you live, in how you speak, in the things that you do. I will give you the power. What's that look like? That looks like, I'll give you an example from my own life. That looks like 
myself, who used to be a, a huge hermit and social anxiety person, I hide in my closet when people came to my house, literally, my wife would have to come drag me out. I just got to this place in my mind where I just didn't want anything to do with people, and so much social anxiety. I'd come to church, and I'd go to the drinking fountain 42 times before service started, because no one can talk to me when I take a drink of water. It would get me out of talking. I'd go to the bathroom 100 times, because nobody talks, well, the nice guys don't talk to you when you're going to the bathroom, but some of you guys do. Some of you guys with no self-awareness. Okay, like Eric Oberg, probably. <laughs> I'm like, come on, guys. Hey, can there be a little privacy? Okay? That's why guys don't go to the bathroom together like women. Okay, because we know if we take somebody with us, they're going to want to have a chat and talk. We don't want to do that. Let's leave it alone. Okay? But here's the thing. It's all that anxiety, all those things, and a fearfulness of people. And God takes me out of that and teaches me step by step, baby step by baby step, how to come out of that and now plant a church, and then beyond that, to empower to be a witness out there, not just in here. This last Friday night, I was driving Uber, and I've been praying. Every single time I drive Uber, I have a chance to share the Lord with somebody. But Friday night, as we went out, I said, Lord, this has been good. This was my prayer. I said, but let's have some fun. Let's do something big. Let's do a miracle. Let's see somebody actually give their life to you. Okay, and so this is what I'm praying. And I just kept praying it as I drive, as I drive. And all of a sudden, it's getting towards the end of the night. I have about an hour and a half, two hours left of driving. And these, these three guys get in my car. One is me. There's a guy here to my right, a guy in this passenger seat, and a guy in this passenger seat behind me. And these two guys spend, it's a six-minute ride. They spend five and a half minutes absolutely mugging this guy's faith. Which he didn't have, he's not a believer, he doesn't have faith, faith, but he's exploring the idea of faith. And they hammered him for five and a half minutes of this ride about how stupid it is and how dumb it is and how there's no God and there's no religion, there's no faith, and he shouldn't even be considering that. I mean, just on and on and on. And I'm sitting there listening to it. And of course, the policies of Uber is not to talk religion or personal or anything else. I'm just sitting there thinking, this is interesting. And I'm like, Lord, I'm willing to be quiet. Like, what do you want me to do? And finally, I just said, can I ask a question? And they're like, yeah, go ahead. I wasn't the most politically correct at the moment. But I just said, you know what? I said, how do you guys have so much to share when you're so ignorant about the subject? And boy, the temperature went high fast. But a lot of the stuff they were saying was complete lies. I mean, they're talking about books of the Bible and stuff that aren't even, like, oh, this book in the New Testament, it's like an Old Testament book. They're like, the Bible says this, it doesn't even say that. They're just saying all this stuff to try to use whatever they can to beat this guy up, and they're just making stuff up. And so they get out of the car, and they're upset. And the other guy, though, comes around and gets in the front seat, and he says, hey, I'm sorry for these guys. I'm sorry that they made such a scene, because they were pretty aggressive the whole ride over. And he says, you know, I just, you know, I just wanted to let them speak. That's what I wanted to let them do. And I said, now, you want to follow the leading of the Lord. But I said, no. I said, that's not the problem. The problem is you have no courage. And he just looks at me and goes, what do you mean? I said, if your girlfriend was in the back seat of this car and we were driving all the way and they were talking about her like that, what would you have done? Would you have sat and listened? And he's like, nope. And I said, but the God who came down from heaven and died for your sins is being talked about all the way here that way and you don't have a word to say? 
I said, that's not letting people talk. I said, either A, you have no relationship with the Lord, or B, you have no courage to stand up for the relationship that you have. And he's like, man, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I said, you never commit your life to the Lord? He goes, no. I said, well, let's talk about it. So we sat in that car for almost 40 minutes, going through all the questions he has about God, all the questions he has about faith, and he had all of them because he has no knowledge of it. But God's been drawing him. And he said at one point in the conversation, he said, I come down here because, you know, you drop people off mostly at parties and, and places when you're driving Uber. That's what all the rides are to. And he said, you know, he said, I come down here every night. And he says, every morning I feel like a coffin. I said, what do you mean? He goes, I just feel dead. He's like, but then I go back out the next night seeing if maybe it'll work next time. I said, it ain't going to work, man. You're going to always feel like a coffin because it's just going to bring death. And we talked through and talked through. And at the end, I said, man, where are you at right now? He says, I want to give my life to Jesus. And we sat there in the van, and we prayed, and he gave his life to the Lord, and he asked Jesus to come in to change his heart and to have a life of purpose and destiny and significance in Christ. And he's been searching. But see, it wasn't me that has that boldness, because I used to hide in my own closet. It was the Spirit of God working in me, saying, are you going to let this guy who's trying to explore faith, and I'm trying to draw him to me, are you going to let him get mugged the whole way over and get out of your car and walk away and continue to get beat up all night? Or are you going to speak life into him? Are you going to talk to him about purpose and destiny and that I died for him and that I rose again to give him new life and that I have a hope and a future for him and that I love him? And boldness rose up, and 40 minutes we spend talking. God has that for you because it's the same spirit that comes to you that comes to me. That's not a pastoral thing. That's a Christian thing. That's a follower of Christ thing, that God wants to bring boldness into your life, that as you see things going on around you, people that are struggling, people that are depressed, people that are going through the motions of life, people that are in a negative relationship, instead of just sitting and watching that the Spirit of God will rise up in you and you'll step into the situation and say, do you know what? I have hope for you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And that you'll begin to change people's lives around you. So that is another thing that he comes to do. He's an equipper. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but they are all given to believers by the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and gives and equips us with different giftings. Some of you, I know your gifts, some I don't. Because you haven't been here long enough, but every single person in this room has a unique gift and ability to impact people for the kingdom of God. There's certain people here that if I know that somebody needs to have a person come over and sit with them while they cry, and they have this gift of empathy and comfort, that they will go do that. And I know there's other people that if I send them over to do that, the person's going to cry more. And for the wrong reasons. Because that's not who they are. But there's others that have that gift and that ability. And so the Holy Spirit comes and he gives gifts. You know, some have the gift of helps. Which the gift of helps is somebody that comes in. Josh Jensen sitting over here on the computer has that. That guy will do anything. And if he doesn't know how to do it, he'll tell you he knows how to do it. And then he'll go Google how to do it. And then he'll do it for you. And you won't find out that he didn't know how to do it until after he's fixed it. You're like, man, you know so much. How did you know that? And he's like, I didn't. Then why did you say yes? Because I wanted to help. I've known him for years, and that's how he lives. That's a gift. 
There's other people that you say, hey, can you help me? And they're like, oh, man, hold on, I've got to use the restroom. And then they're gone. You can't find them again. They use the restroom go out the back door. But some people have that gift. They're passionate about it. There was a guy when we lived in Bend, Oregon, and his name was Dana. And he loved to help people move. He actually literally loved it. If he heard somebody's moving, he's like, oh, who's moving? He doesn't even know them. Like, I don't even like helping my family move. Like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, who's moving? I can help. And he'll go there. He'll spend the whole day moving, spend his whole Saturday. He don't care. He'll move all day. Anything else to move? Which is the problem. If you take him with you to move people, then you'll move all the stuff, and then he'll want to stay and unpack and do a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, dude, I'm done. I'm done. But he has a gift to help people. But the Holy Spirit distributes these things out. He equips us. So another kind of list of categories here, those are the things that, that he is, right? He is the deposit of our future in heaven. He's a convictor of sin and righteousness. He's a comforter, a counselor, a teacher. He's an empowerer that brings boldness into our lives. He's an equipper that gives us the gifts and abilities to help other people. Now, here's a little bit about his personality now. Okay, because the Bible describes him very much as a, as a, a person. It says in Ephesians 4, verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The God who sealed you, who claimed you for his own, he can be grieved. There are things that you can do. Now think about this. We say, well, God is with me all the time. If I am with you, and I know there's things that really trouble you, but I choose to do them with you and bring you grief. How long would you want to hang out with me? If I knew that that's how it worked in your spirit. If you were an alcoholic coming out of alcoholism, and when I hung out with you, I always had a six-pack. How long would you hang out with me? If I did not like your spouse thought they were just awful. And every time we got together, I'd talk about, man, your spouse is crazy. How long would you hang out with me? Right? You start to move away from things that grieve you. Okay? Well, if the Holy Spirit's always with us, then it's important for us as believers to think about, is what I'm doing right now something that the Holy Spirit would want me doing in his presence? That's where some of these things about, well, what do you watch? What movies do you watch? What music do you listen to? How do you talk in private? What are the thoughts you're having? Right? The Holy Spirit knows all this. Are these things that are pleasing to him? Or am I grieving him? Again, that's not for condemnation. That's for conviction because God wants to show you how to live right, how to live in a way that pleases him, how to help others. But he does that. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. First Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the spirit. What does quench mean? Quench is to put something out. Think of a fire and you throw a blanket on it and you just put it out. It means to suppress it, to put it down, to not give it room to breathe. You know, in this church, we try to have time for prayer. Why? Because the Holy Spirit and God works through prayer. We have time to break out and let people talk to each other because the Holy Spirit works through each of us to minister to each other. If someone has a word to share, they're welcome to come up and grab Jesse and say, hey, I've got a word to share, you know, after a song. And then come up and share that. Why? Because we want to have room here for the Holy Spirit to work. But what about our life outside of church? Is your life so busy that there's not time to stop 
and pray for or to help or to encourage someone that God leads you to help, to pray for or to encourage. Or this person could use this, but man, I don't have the time. Why? Because I'm suppressing it by being too busy with other things, and now I can't do the things that God's calling me to do. And so we have to make room. If you think about a fire, if you ever built one, it's always interesting because my kids always love to build the fires, and they're old enough now that they can build pretty good fires. But when they were little, the way that you build a fire is you put as much on that as you can, right? Because that's the stuff that burns. So you put a whole lot of paper on there and a whole lot of wood on there and a whole lot of everything. By the time it's all on there and you try to light it, it won't light because it's too full. There's no room for air to breathe. There's no room for anything to come through. Our life can get so full, even of good things, that we don't leave any room for God's Spirit to come in and work and moving. Oh, I can't change my schedule. I'm too busy. Well, but God's trying to lead you over here to do something. God's trying to lead me over here to do something. So it's important to leave some room in our life to allow God to work and to do things as he sees fit. Another one is that he can be resisted. Acts 7, 51. It says, you men are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart, and your ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing this just as your fathers did. And so there's this thing where God comes and says, hey, I want this to happen. I want you to go this direction. I want you to change this in your life. I'm calling you here. And you're like, I'm closing my ears to that. I don't want to hear that. I'm resisting and I'm pushing against it. And that often happens because God often asks us to do things that are different than how we would do them. The Bible says that the mind of the flesh, in Romans, the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It's hostile to the mind of the Spirit. In other words, God asks us to do something, and our mind is saying, no, that's not, I don't want to do that. That's not the best way. I don't want to do it like that. Sometimes he asks us to give when we have nothing, not just to the church, but to give to our neighbor, to take a box of food over when we don't have much food in our own fridge, to go help somebody pay their rent when we're having trouble paying our own rent. We're like, that doesn't work for me. God says, do it, and I'm going to take care of you. Well, that's faith, and I don't want to live in faith right now. I want to live in security. I just want to pay my bill. I just want to do my thing. God's saying, no, I want you to do this. I'll take care of you. Well, that's different than how my own mind thinks, and so I push and resist what God wants to do. The Holy Spirit can be resisted. He can be blasphemed. Matthew 12, 31 to 32. It says, therefore I say to you, any sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. People, but... Now check this out. This isn't this the only place it says this in the Bible. But blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. Well, I thought God forgives all my sins. Well, this verse is clear. That he forgives all sin, but this sin is a sin that's not forgiven. So what's it talking about? That word blasphemy, what it actually means is slander. It means to slander the Holy Spirit. It means to speak against him and to slander him and to tear him down. And so what it's talking about here is as the Spirit comes into your life and you can feel the Spirit moving on your heart and you know his presence is real and you reject that and you speak against that and you push that away from your life, that you will not have forgiveness and you will not have a relationship with God because it is his spirit that draws you to God. It's his spirit that convicts you of sin and causes you to change. So if you push against that and you reject that and throw it out, what do you have left to draw you to God? What do you have left 
to convict you of sin and righteousness and cause you to live like him. You have nothing left. And so if God is moving on your heart to follow him, if God is moving on your heart to know him and to walk with him and you push that away, there's nothing left. So you have to receive it and you have to walk in it. Acts 8, verse 19 to 20. The Holy Spirit cannot be bought. So let me tell you this. That you shouldn't even need to talk about this. Why is it in the Bible? That you can't buy the Holy Spirit? Hey, I want some Holy Spirit. What can I pay for that? That should not even be a question. It should not need to be addressed. But listen to this verse. He says, give this authority to me. He's talking to the disciples. This is a, another guy that was alive in the Bible, and he's watching their ministry, and he says, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. He's offering them money and says, hey, give me this anointing, this spiritual thing that you have, so I can do it to other people. It's a relational thing. It's not a purchase. And second of all, it's already paid for. Christ paid for it when he died for us. And so to offer to buy it, one, is to reject what Christ has done for us, and two, is to insult it as saying it's a money thing and not a relational thing. And so when we look at that, we say, well, well that shouldn't even be a question. But, you know, even today, there's different conferences you can go to around the world and different things you can go to where you can pay extra money to go into special meetings in order to have special things taught to you so you can have special anointings and special power of the Spirit. Let me just tell you right now, if you don't already know this, if anybody ever offers for you to buy your way into something where you're going to get more anointing of the Spirit, save your money. Go help an orphan. Go help a widow. Go look for someone in distress and care for them. God's anointing and blessing for your life is not for sale. It's been bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. We take offering at church. We don't take offering so you can be blessed. We don't even take offering so I can be blessed. We take offering for two reasons. One is the Bible talks about giving of our money because it's tied to our heart. And we know when we give it, it's like, oh, that's my money. And so it pulls us away from that and causes us to rely on God. So we take offering for that because it teaches us and helps us stay humble. But we also do that because that money that comes in helps, one, me to do my work, pays me a, a, a pretty small salary, which is why I drive, drive Uber. I'm not getting rich on the church. Okay? But it also goes to help people with rent and with food and with the needs that they have because our goal is to be like Christ and to help the world around us and to be a blessing and to serve them. It takes money to do that. That's why we take an offering. But we don't take an offering so that you can have a greater blessing in your life. We don't take an offering so that, hey, everybody, we went through the offerings, and whoever gave this much this month, you know, we're going to have a special meeting on Friday night, we're going to pray some anointing over you. This stuff happens, though. I heard a story in Africa, because I went over there and did missions, and one of the guys was telling me that the speaker comes in, and he lines all the people up for prayer at the altar. And the way they do it is that they have a line on this side, where if you give this much money, you get a certain kind of prayer, and a line here, if you give this much money, you get a certain kind of prayer, and a line here, and it's staggered by it. more money is more, you know, a more powerful prayer. And he literally, he said that somebody came up, this little old lady comes slowly up, has her money, it's a little bit, and she gives it to the guy, 
And the guy takes the money in front of the crowd, kicks her in the chest, knocks her to the ground, throws her money down at her, and in front of everybody, he says, how dare you insult God with this petty offering? That's a sad thing. But you know, not just with money, but sometimes we do that with people. Sometimes people bring their offering of themselves, their gifting, their ability, and we look at them and we say, how dare you think you can serve God with that? Just look at you. You have no education. You have no background. You used to be an addict. You were abused as a kid. You got all these problems. How dare you come up and think that you're going to minister to people in the name of God? When people come and offer themselves or their money or anything to the service of the Lord, the only response is thank you. God bless you for that. Because the Bible says give, it'll come back to you, press down, shake together, and running over. Thank you for bringing what you have. We're going to use that to bless somebody. But this idea of it being bought is completely rejected. And the last point here, number six, is that the Spirit will only glorify Jesus. John 16, 14. He will glorify me. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit in that passage. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what will be made known to you. The Holy Spirit works to glorify Jesus. And so when you feel the Lord speaking in your life, well, how do you hear from the Lord? Well, people hear different ways. Some people hear in pictures. God will show them pictures of things. Some people hear and uh, kind of hear and feel God speaking to them through a dream, through a word that he keeps giving them, through a verse that he brings to their mind, uh, something in their heart that God just keeps bringing up. There's different ways, sometimes audibly. But we hear from God. He speaks to us. And so as that happens, it will always glorify Jesus. It will never take us away from him. It will also never glorify the person that is supposedly leading the organization, the congregation, the family. The Holy Spirit will never come into the beat church to glorify me become the pastor. As soon as it becomes more about me than about Jesus, it ceases to be a church of God. In fact, the soon, the, as soon as it becomes more about me, about us as a family of God, it ceases to become the church of God, because God says that he sets the solitary in the family. It's us. We all need Jesus. We're all working together to become more like Christ. We're all on a faith journey together. And so when you see somebody that says, oh, I've got the Holy Spirit, and it's, man, I don't need others anymore. Well, Jesus said they'll know you're my disciples because you love one another. But the Holy Spirit's leading me to just do life alone. Well, that's not glorifying Jesus because it's going against what he said. So that's not the Holy Spirit. And so we always take what we feel maybe being said to us or what we feel God is kind of doing in our heart and we compare it to the word and we ask, does this glorify Jesus? And does it glorify the things that he taught? And does it lead me in the direction of God's word? And if it doesn't, that's not the Holy Spirit. That might be your own thinking. That might be a demonic voice that's trying to draw you away from the Lord. It could be anything, but it's not him. And so these are the things that lay out the Holy Spirit. And why is it so important? Because we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Because the first gift of the Spirit, the first spiritual gift that we receive 
is the Holy Spirit himself. Go back to the verse that we started with, and then we're going to pray. If you love me, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He's saying, you know what, the first gift is I'm going to come down, and my Spirit is going to dwell with you. It's going to lead you and guide you and equip you and work with you and walk with you. My Spirit's going to come, so you don't have to do life and faith alone. Sometimes we feel lonely, but we're never alone because he's with us. Sometimes we feel afraid, but we don't have to be afraid because he's with us to empower us and bring boldness. So the first gift is the Holy Spirit. And as we have relationship with God and his spirit, these other gifts start to come out of our life. And these other abilities and fruit of the spirit even start to come out of our life because of that relationship. So let's close our eyes and pray. And I would just encourage you, you know, we're all at different levels. Some of you may not know, this may be the first real teaching or, or, or getting into the word on the Holy Spirit that you've ever had. Some of you may have had it a lot and then you've forgotten about it, haven't paid attention to it. But it's important because God has literally come down in his spirit to be with you, talk with you, guide you, lead you. If you're in a struggle, he'll show you the way out. If you don't know what to do to help the person at work or the neighbor or the person that's sad, don't just try in your own mind, but pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And let God lead us. He's given us himself to do life with. Father, we just pray right now that, God, you will bring, Lord, a revelation and an awareness, God, to the church, Lord, each individual person, Lord, a hunger, Lord, to know you and to walk with you, God, not just to go through church motions, but, Lord, to hear your voice, to follow your leading, to come to you for comfort and counsel. God, to walk our lives out, Lord, not as isolated individuals, but Lord, as those that are actually living with you in a very real way. Father, I pray for that. God, I pray that as we go through our week that, Lord, if there's anyone here and they haven't really heard the Holy Spirit, they haven't ever felt that, they've never walked in that, or they've never felt your presence in their life, God, I pray that you'd begin, Lord, to just speak to them. Lord, through words, pictures, your, your word as they sit down and read their Bible, but God, through songs, that you would just woo them into your arms and into a deeper relationship with you. Father, I thank you for that. I pray, Lord, you give us a week this week where there's more opportunities, Lord, to live by your spirit and impact the world around us. Lord, help some more stories of salvations. Lord, just walking around and meeting people, being at work and meeting people. Lord, more stories, God, of us touching lives for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for that. Amen. Now, I'm going to say one last thing is next week we're going to get very specifically, this week we're really laying the foundation of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does, so that we have something to build off of. Next week we're getting into actual, very specific on the spiritual gifts. What are the spiritual gifts? What spiritual gift do you have? Wouldn't that be cool to know? Like, what did God make me as? What does he want me to do? How can he use me? Because there is one. And so we're going to talk about them, we're going to identify them, we're going to have a little bit of interaction, and we're going to leave here not just knowing what gifts God gives, but we're going to leave here with you walking out saying, do you know what? I think I know what gift God's given me. And it's going to be really exciting. It's like Christmas, opening up and going, wow, I never really realized this, but this is actually a gift that God gave me, and I can use this to do something. And so make sure to come next week so that you can experience that, hear that, and walk out of here excited and equipped with what God wants to do to use you. Amen? 
All right, hopefully you'll stick around. I love you guys. Thanks for being here and fellowshipping with us. Take the next step and visit www.thebeatchurch.com and get connected with a community committed to applying these truths in their everyday lives. You can also give now to support our messages by visiting www.thebeatchurch.com give.